Hello, I'm Dr. Ann Katz. Welcome to Sexually Speaking, a podcast about all things related to sexuality with zero sensationalism, but lots of information. For the last 20 years, I've worked with individuals and couples who are experiencing sexual difficulties, mostly those related to cancer treatment. I've written a whole lot of articles and books on the topic and traveled all over the world, educating healthcare providers and people with cancer. It's been a great adventure on many levels, and now I've started a small private practice for anyone experiencing sexual problems, especially those related to any kind of illness, infertility, etc. You can learn more about me, my books, and other writing on my website, drancats.com. I am so excited to introduce my guest for this episode, Dr. Stephanie Bueller. Dr. Bueller is the author of several books, including What Every Mental Health Professional Needs to Know About Sex, with a third edition being published in the fall of 2021. She also educates professionals who want to practice sex therapy and provides continuing education for sex therapists and wellness providers. One of her many books is called Counseling Couples Before, During, and After Pregnancy, and this is the topic that we're talking about today. Welcome, Dr. Bueller. Hello, welcome. What am I saying? Thank you. <laughs> welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. So I'm really interested to talk about this. As you may know, I actually trained as a midwife. And honestly, you know, I can remember when I worked in the postpartum ward, we basically tell people, you know, no sex for six weeks. And that's a question that I really want to talk about. So why no sex for six weeks? You know, generally at that six weeks point, people go to see their OB or their family physician, whoever delivered the baby. And to me, it makes sense that you should actually try before you go for that six-week checkup, because then you can tell if it hurts or, if, or whatever. So where do you think the six-week thing comes from? And that's a really, that's a great question to jump off with. My understanding, of course, I'm a psychologist, not medical doctor, but my understanding is that the, it takes that long for the body, to, woman's body to heal. So for the uterus to return kind of back to its normal size and for any, I don't know, I guess any tears to heal up and hormones to kind of go back to normal, whatever that is. I don't know how normal they are at six weeks postpartum. And I think just to allow the body to recover. So that's where it comes from. Um, I think there is also something having to do with the cervix and uh, not wanting infection to enter into the uterus, something of that nature as well. Um, but I, you know, to your point, though, you are right. Maybe try, you could try to have intercourse right before that six-week mark and just see if everything's working. Or maybe even just, you know, insert a small toy or a digit or something like that and just see how things are going. But I also think there's kind of a psychological reason too. I think most people are pooped out. I think <laughs> I think a lot of couples are just overwhelmed and tired, and you know there's lack of sleep and adjusting to having a new little being uh, in the home. And even with second babies or third babies, nobody knows what you're going to get, right? You, you might get one that sleeps the night, but you might get a colicky one, and you know. Then you're going to be pretty tired for several weeks. 
I mean, I think those are all good reasons. I would suggest that certainly there are some women who would say, I wish it were 12 weeks. Um, but, you know, six weeks applies to all other things, right? If you've had surgery, six weeks until you can ride a bike, whatever. And personally, I think somebody just sucked that six weeks out of their thumb because, <laughs> you know, certainly I know women who felt well enough to have intercourse four or five weeks after childbirth and nothing kind of fell out of their body. So <laughs> yeah, that, well, that, that's, I'm sure that's true. There was one study by uh, Sari Van Anders uh, and, and, and friends. And I think that they found that women would masturbate before that six week mark. So clearly some of them have energy, they have desire uh, but I guess maybe because they're told, wait six weeks, they do. For sure. Or they don't and then feel really guilty about it. Right. And don't tell anyone. Correct. <laughs> Correct. They might get into trouble. Yeah. You know, I mean, I guess what happens if you you know, if your OB or your doctor or your midwife is on vacation when that six week mark happens and you have to go at five weeks or you have to go at eight weeks, who knows? Who Wom knows? Yeah. Women's bodies are strong, right? Look what we do. Yes, that is so very true. We are strong. So let's talk even more about sex and pregnancy. So, you know, most people know how babies are made. The stalk is a myth. I remember when, when I was probably 10 or 11, I decided that I was never going to have children because of what you had to do to have a baby. I just thought that that was the worst thing in the world. Totally gross. And look where I am now. But anyway, <laughs> what is the number one issue that affects sex for a couple during pregnancy? So I knew this was a problem, but I was very curious to see that the research confirms it, which is most couples that don't have sex are afraid of hurting the baby, right? Especially for men. That's really interesting that they're afraid that they're going to have intercourse and somehow their penis is going to bump up against the developing fetus and do something terrible, do some terrible damage. But I've also heard even weirder, <laughs> the weird fun though is that the baby would know that they were having intercourse. And, <laughs> I've heard, I've heard both of those. I actually remember a man saying to me, you know, if we have sex, my baby's going to be born with like a, a divot in its head, in its forehead. You know, it sounds kind of funny, but I think it really does speak to the lack of education and lack of knowledge. And, you know, I have to think about, you know, what that poor man is thinking and probably they will have sex at some point during the pregnancy and how guilty he must feel. And I can just imagine, you know, the baby being born and all this guy can look at, never mind 10 fingers and 10 toes, is if there's a divot in the, divot. In the, in the middle of the baby's oh, no. forehead. Oh, oh, that's very sad to think about. Yeah. And you can't really dissuade people from that. I mean, yeah, I think the education really needs to come before, <laughs> because if you talk about it during, they, they, they don't want to, they're like, no, they are set. You can't convince them that it's safe. So, and of course, you know, like you said, if somebody's worried that they're going to put a divot in the baby's head, you don't want to be the one responsible for anything being amiss when the baby's born. So, you know, you just kind of leave it. Um, yeah. I think the funniest, though, is imagining that this fetus can see 
what is yes. going on. Yes, right. And then was the fetus know what you're having for breakfast in the morning? I mean, does the fetus know what movies you're watching? Well, but no, but somehow because there's so much shame associated with being sexual that they you know, oh, the, the baby will know, like somebody, some of some sentient being <laughs> know what's happening and they'll judge me for being horny during a pregnancy. You know, perhaps also there's sort of instruction passed down from an older generation where I think people didn't have sex during pregnancy for whatever reason. And, you know, perhaps it's something that, you know, grandfather told dad, dad tells son, you know, that you need to leave your wife alone for that time. And that becomes sort of a belief right? Which it's really hard to overcome beliefs when you're talking to somebody because beliefs are stronger than knowledge. And you, you know, as a, as a healthcare provider, you can talk till you're blue in the face. People are going to believe what they're going to believe. Absolutely true. And I think the other thing too, is the, you know, we do have the, the idea that once a woman becomes a mother that she is somehow put, you know, for many people now she's in a completely different category, have off limits sexually. Uh, you know, I mean, you were talking about your memories. I remember when I got pregnant, I, I wore a jumper, a denim jumper. It was as big as a tent. It was huge. So when I see now women with their baby bump and they're displaying it and it, you know, some of them have like wonderful figures. And then with a baby bump, I'm like, Oh no, that's, you're sexy. Oh, oh, I didn't know that. You could even think of yourself as being like beautiful and, you know, maybe even goddess-like while you were pregnant. For me, it was just like, oh, well, I'm a cow and I'm a mother now. So that's who I am in my tent. Yeah. I I mean, I wore a lot of tents as well. And, and, you know, thank you, Princess Diana. I had both my children round about the same time that she did. And, um, and, you know, I just remember her in those voluminous dresses that, you know, with the collars, remember it was, and then we all followed. Um, and yeah, you know, I think the pregnant women today in these tight clothes look incredible. None of them seem to have stretch marks, though. <laughs> you know, and look at, look at the, the plaster casts that now women are, are doing when they're pregnant, particularly near the end of pregnancy. And you can bedazzle and bejewel them and hang them on the wall in your house. I'm I'm not sure I could do that, certainly. So what do you think the opinion or the practices of women during pregnancy are? And what are their issues? So women, you know, the body's change, obviously, the body's going through many changes that you can see, but there are also changes going on that you cannot see. So hormones, hormones make everything for a lot of women make things feel different. There's also blood flow. So a lot of blood flow is going to the pelvis. It's going to the breast. Everything is getting larger, of course, with that engorgement. Now it's interesting. Some women find all of it very pleasurable. So there's a lot of engorgement in the genitals, for example, in the nipples, you know, so everything feels wonderful. And I have had some women tell me they had the best sex of their lives during their pregnancy. So that was really interesting. And then other women, things feel different and not in a good way. Everything is overly sensitive. It's like, don't, oh, please don't touch my breasts. Oh, please don't touch me there. So every woman is different. I guess you, you there's no way of knowing which category you're, you're going to be in. 
And then of course your poor partner, whether their partner is male or female, doesn't matter, you know, that like now what? <laughs> so that actually is a perfect segue into my next question. Are issues similar for sexual minority women? Well, I don't think, you know, it's interesting in my research, I didn't find a, a lot about sex during pregnancy for uh, my, sexual minority women. It's almost as if it didn't exist as a research topic. So that was very interesting to me. Most of it is focused on feelings, especially if you have a lesbian couple, that feelings that one woman might have about the other, you know, if one is carrying a pregnancy, then the one not carrying the pregnancy might have, they might have feelings of jealousy because of course, when you're pregnant, you're getting a lot of attention and okay. And so this thing that isn't even born, it's just like a man, you know, male partners also, oh, wow, this a little being that isn't even here yet is already getting a lot of attention and I'm starting to have feelings of jealousy. So those things can come about. And, but I think uh, the good thing about sexual minority women and couples is that they generally have very cooperative kinds of relationships. And so in heterosexual couples, there are a lot of problems when the baby is born having to do with division of labor same-sex couples don't have those same kinds of disagreements. So I think there's more harmony in the home after the birth of a child. Sounds good. Of course, you know, we can talk about we're pregnant and we're in labor. And, you know, this might be offensive to some listeners, but seriously, when a man tells me that they're in labor, I want to perhaps take a pair of tweezers uh, to some parts of him, because labor is experienced by the woman. Uh, it is not egalitarian. No, it is not egalitarian. That it is a lot of work. It's a lot of toil. Unless you have a scheduled C-section. And even then, you know what? You have a big recovery period. It is not, not so straightforward. Well, so, it's, it's major surgery. And, you know, I don't, yes. and I don't think people think of it that way, you know, so that you're sent home on day three or day four with a huge, well, a fairly large abdominal incision and you're climbing stairs and doing laundry and picking up an eight pound baby. Not so easy. No, not easy. You know, there, I think there's very little talk about sex during pregnancy and certainly after pregnancy or after childbirth. So what are the key facts that men and women should know about sex after the baby is born beyond the, you know, the constant waking in the night, et cetera, et cetera. Are there changes from before? For some couples there are, and again, it has to do with hormones, also body image. That is a big one for women after having given birth. You know, there, I mean, there is a typical weight gain uh, and that varies, really varies a lot. And so, and women have different feelings about it. Some women are very accepting, like, yeah, my body just did this thing. And of course I look like this and that's fine. Other women are very surprised. Like I, I just read someone on Facebook posted and said, I had no idea that my stomach was going to look like this after I gave birth, I thought it was going to go snap right back to being flat. So you can imagine someone like that having, you know, looking down and going like, oh my goodness, it's like an empty, an empty sack. Here. You know, and it does, it eventually gets better, right? 
So I actually, I, think- I actually remember the the morning after I gave birth to our firstborn, our daughter, and I'm a midwife, right? So I knew this stuff theoretically, I guess, and I remember putting my hand on my stomach and just going, "What on earth is that? Like Jello? I mean, just this wobbly, quivering flesh." And I knew, and I put on a lot of weight in both my pregnancies. It was a shock. Yes, it it is. It was a shock for me as well. I went, uh, I I think for me also, I thought, okay, I I think I'll be able to just, I think I brought a pair of regular pants with me to the hospital. And then I I kind of looked down and I looked at the pants. I went like, nope, I guess these maternity jeans are (laughs) quite heavy. I'll be wearing them for a while longer. So I think men sometimes have uh, difficulty after uh, their wife has given birth or their partner has given birth. I, I haven't had too many men, but every once in a while, one comes in and said, I was present for the birth and I can't, it's very difficult for me to look at my partner's genitals that, the same way. And those kinds of things can happen as well. Um, yeah. Your feelings about the breasts. I mean, you're lactating, right? What's going on there? So, you know, there's a lot to navigate. Yeah. I'm convinced that women should go into labor with a red rope and drape it somewhere below the breasts and to the belly button, right? And nobody that you that loves you goes past that red rope. You stay <laughs> by the head. <laughs> Right. It's okay. You know, just lots of kisses and above the neck. Yeah. You know, I think, I think it's something that perhaps you can't unsee. Yes. Yes. I think for some men, it doesn't bother them. You know, it's like, okay, this is natural. Uh, Just go with the, go with the flow, so to speak. And others are quite shocked by what they've seen. Uh, And maybe there's some wisdom. Sometimes I think maybe there was some wisdom in having dad outside the delivery room. I've had, I've heard more, a few stories about men fainting, you know, just going right over during the delivery as well. So, (laughs) yeah, I mean, I, you know, I personally think that if a partner is there, male or female, they should be having partner appreciation day very, very regularly after that. Because when you, when you think about it, this is, this is amazing stuff. It is. And, you know, for some, it's going to be a once or twice in a lifetime opportunity to witness this event. And it is truly amazing. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. And yet, you know, we're only human. (laughs) That is true. And, uh, and we get through it. You know, I think, I think we don't really realize unless you've been through it, what sleep deprivation is and how difficult it is to feel sexual with that kind of sleep deprivation. And I know some people have babies that theoretically or allegedly sleep through the night from like day two. I call BS on that one (laughs) um, because babies need to feed and they need to feed often. Yes. I think what's becoming really popular is this co-sleeping and, and certainly the evidence on the safety of that uh, is, is kind of controversial. Um, I, for millennia, babies have slept in the same space as their parents because people don't necessarily have a five bedroom house. And, you know, certainly I think there have been infant deaths and all that kind of stuff, but how does that affect sex? 
definitely can have a, a negative effect. And for some couples, I, I just normalize, you know, you may not be having a lot of sex for the first few months because you're going to be too tired. So, you know, make sure though that you have ways of giving each other pleasure and showing each other affection and caring. And maybe you want to have a mutual masturbation. Of course, that might offend some people listening, but doing things that don't require a great deal of stamina or energy. Give yourselves permission to have lazy sex. Yeah, lazy sex. You just kind of lie there. Uh, I guess it's a good thing men don't have babies. Briefly, what have you seen in your practice related to sexual issues and infertility? This is actually a big topic. And just in practice, that's when I would see the most couples coming in. If they're trying to have timed intercourse, it's miserable for them. It really, it truly is. It puts a lot of pressure. Men feel resentment. I've had men say, what am I? I've just become nothing more than a sperm dispenser which is not true, but that's what the process engenders for them. That's what they feel. And then uh, women often lose their desire. And I think too, going through the process of trying for a pregnancy, then finding out no pregnancy, you're on a roller coaster anyway. If you add in any kind of uh, treatment, you know, the expense, at least here in the States, the expense is unbelievable. It's like $10,000 a round and not everybody has health insurance to pay for that. So people are borrowing on their homes and they're borrowing from parents and the bank and so on. Puts a lot of pressure. And, uh, you know, I always think about when I'm, I'm not too far from San Diego and there is a sign on the gorilla enclosure that says, shh, please be quiet around the gorillas because if they're stressed, they won't reproduce. And I think, oh my gosh, think of all the couples out there that are trying to reproduce with all kinds of stress. It's a wonder that we ever have any babies at all. And uh, unfortunately, that's what I think about with those poor couples who are going through infertility treatment. And I mean, it really is important to stay as relaxed as possible and even take a break from baby making sex sometimes, you know, and just let it be for a month or two. It's not going to make any difference in the long term. Yeah, I've also talked to people about that sex for procreation needs to happen in a different space or place than sex for pleasure. You know, if you're trying and it's that time of the month and, you know, your ovulating predictor says today is the day or, you know, the fertility specialist has said it's got to be this weekend, you know, do it in a spare room and leave the bedroom for pleasure or the other way around, because it does, it becomes, I mean, it becomes, you know, the, oh, the gorilla in the room <laughs> moving. Yes. You know, it's difficult. And we see so many people struggling with fertility. It's really sad. It is very sad. It is very sad. And hopefully any couples out there who are listening to this, I hope that you have the result that you're wishing for and soon. Thank you so much, Dr. Bueller. I love talking to you. And uh, it's been so long since we saw each other at conferences and could hang out by the coffee and tea. Hopefully those days are going to return fairly soon. I think the talk of going only for virtual conferences because, you know, we've had such great experiences during COVID. Uh, nope, wrong. 
So that's it for Sexually Speaking this time. There'll be more from me with another guest in the coming weeks. If there's a topic you're particularly interested in hearing about, or if you want to contact me about private counseling, please email me at counseling at drannkatz.com. That's counseling with two L's.